church. He is worthy. He is continuously worthy of all our worship. We bless you and praise you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Lift him up, church. Hallelujah. 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 He is worthy. Lift up the Lord, church. He is worthy. Lift him up. He is mighty and worthy of our praise. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. He's been my fourth man in the fire time after time. Born of the Spirit, washed in his blood. And what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. 
trust in God, my Savior, the one who never fails. He will never fail. Perfect submission. All is
Jesus a hand clap of praise in this house today. He's the one that's worthy. He deserves the glory and the honor and all the praise today. To him be honor and glory and dominion and power in the name of Jesus. And the church said amen and amen. I, I, I want to start today by saying that I was um, typically the way that I function and operate um, there's no sin in the way that pastors prepare for their sermons, all right? There's no sin in that. Everybody does it different. For me, <clears throat> and my wife can tell you this, for years and years, I have been a Saturday guy. On Saturday morning, that's, that's just when I process what's going on for Sunday morning. Very seldom do I have a service ready. I'm not, y'all know I'm anti-series, right? Does everybody know that? <laughs> I'm really not anti-series, but very seldom do I have sermons just laid out and ready to go. Most of the time, it's a day-by-day, week-by-week thing for me, uh, except for Wednesdays, because obviously we're doing a certain study. But when I got up Saturday morning, I woke up probably around 7, 7, maybe around 7 o'clock. <clears throat> and when I woke up, I woke up to three words, and it was, do not worry. That's it. I heard it over and over in my mind as I was laying in that bed. Do not worry. Now, typically, I get up and I go through all kinds of sermons and thought processes. And I'm, but I got up Saturday morning. I had a, two scriptures on my mind and three words. And that's what I built off of Saturday morning when I got up. And, of course, had a great cup of coffee. Can somebody say amen? But I feel like God's wanting to say something to us today, and I feel like it's that simple thing, do not worry. So I don't know exactly who this is for today, but I do know that God's speaking to you through his word today. In the book of Matthew, there's some scriptures that when you read them, they're so powerful, and they're all powerful. The whole Bible is inspired by God, right? Everything God ever said, I believe every, every word, every jot, every tittle, I believe all of them. I believe every, every dot of an I, every cross of a T, I believe them all. And there is power in the word of God. The only thing that will not return void, preachers can preach. There may be a few sermons that you may remember uh, years from now that I've preached. Very seldom will you remember everything I ever said. I promise you that. There's nobody that good that you're going to remember everything they preach or everything they say because they're not all that good. But there's some sermons that will stick with you because it speaks to you, right? And so when it does, you remember that. But at the end of the day... The Word of God will never return void. I don't care what scripture you read, it always accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. Pastors can fail, preachers, evangelists, we can fail, we can falter, we can say the wrong thing or not quite get it out the way we want to, but the Word of God stands all by itself. It is powerful. All you have to do is open up your Bible and read it and the power of God will move in your midst. That's all it takes. There's some scriptures that I read that obviously I'm like, uh, I need to explain that to the congregation. There's other scriptures that I read that I say, I don't have to say a word. If, if we were high enough and had enough of the spirit movement, I believe I could read my text to you today and we'd all want to shout hallelujah. I'm serious. That is how powerful this text is I'm about to read to you. Are you ready? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Just look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you in this building by worrying add a single hour to your life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. A little rebuke there from the Lord. So do not worry. Did you hear it again? Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans are running after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own without you trying to add more to it. When I looked up the definition of worry, there are several different definitions of which I'll read to you. But worry, by definition, is a state of anxiety that we get in. It is a state of unease, typically caused by concern over potential. Somebody say potential. Do you know what potential means? That means it hasn't happened yet. But yet we stress about it. We worry about it. We get anxiety about it. About it. Concern over potential problems or uncertainties about our future. It involves dwelling on negative thoughts. It doesn't mean that negative thoughts will never come into your mind. That's the work of the enemy. He's going to try to do that. But when you dwell on them, that means that you live in them. You eat, sleep, and drink them every day. It's all you think about. It crowds your mind. It, 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 it bothers your schedule. It bothers you at work. It bothers you at home. It bothers you when you try to go out and just have a nice relaxing meal. You begin to dwell on negative thoughts anticipating that means you're looking forward to unfavorable outcomes or being preoccupied that means it robs you of joy and of your life being preoccupied again with potential it hasn't happened yet potential dangers or difficulties doesn't that sound fun we will have a sign-up sheet at the back today for anyone that wants to join the Worry Connect group. Our mission is simple. Live a life of worry. Please join today. Would anybody want to sign up? Obviously not. Now, while we wouldn't join the group, the fact is that we often find ourselves living a life of worry. I want to express to you the commonality of worry in people's lives. It doesn't matter regardless of their age. If there's a young person in this building today, they are already getting worried about school starting. They are already getting anxious about the math class because there's a certain teacher in that school that nobody likes. We know that's not you, Angie. They don't want to be in that class. Or D, your teacher too. They don't want to be in that class. And, and so they start worrying about it. Young people, even kids can start worrying. Us older folks, and, and, and as you age and, and get older, and then you start worrying about your health. And every day you're living your life thinking, oh my God, what am I going to do if this happens and that happens? And you've got to let go of that in the name of Jesus. Because if you don't let go of it, it is going to rob you of your joy and even of your life. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter what faith you are we've got to understand that worry is among all ages backgrounds and faith I must emphasize to you the importance of addressing worry and the negative impact that worry is going to have on your well-being yes even your health but the futile na nature of worry is this that worry cannot change the outcome of a situation in other words, you can worry all you want, but it is not going to change what will be. Therefore, worry, what is it? It is very unproductive for me to worry. 
It cannot alter, it cannot change the outcome of events. Because when we worry, we are essentially expending or using up mental and emotional energy on things that are beyond our control. Meaning we don't have the power in ourselves to change it. So it distracts us from really just sitting back, finding practical solutions or taking positive actions to address the situation in a wise manner that is at hand before us. Now I want to ask you a question today. How many of you believe that God still has everything under control? In a world that is shaky, in a stock market that could go down a thousand points tomorrow at the opening bell, do you believe that God still has everything under control? Whenever you've got Kim Jong-un and you've got North Korea and they make these threats all the time, nuclear war, we're going to bomb you, we're going to bomb you. Finally, Trump told him, said, I got a red button and mine's bigger than yours. Finally, somebody stood up to the book. I get sick of hearing it. But the truth is, one day, it could become reality. They're just that crazy over there. America's their enemy. In the middle of even a nuclear warfare, who knows what could happen. Man, it would destroy the world as we know it. Never be the same if one person was to push their red button and nuclear warfare. Man, it would trigger the whole world. It would be chaos. It would be World War III. Do you believe that God still has everything under control? I mean, we used to sing that song. He holds the whole world in his hand. He's got the little bitty babies in his hand. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hand. he got the whole world in his hand. So if we believe that God has everything under control. Now, now I just, I just want to take a minute to tell you, we are talking about the God that literally spoke everything into existence. According to the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, God is depicted to us or described to us as an omnipotent creator. That means all-powerful creator who brought this world into existence out of absolutely nothing at all. The opening verse says it best. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. But the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters God said he said let there be light and there was light let there be land and there is land let there be seas let there be oceans let them have boundaries let there be trees let there be grass let the, he just says it and it is so this is the God that I am preaching about today. In Psalm 147, 4, he determines the number of the stars. And the Bible said that he calls every one of them by their name. How many stars can you name? I guarantee you, you're already finished. And I was going to let you name a few before I got this swallow of water. There's probably one brainiac among us that loves science class. God bless you. The exact number of stars in the universe is an ongoing challenge, yes, even for astronomers and astrophysicists that actually study the stars. The universe is vast and continuously expanding, making it difficult, they say, to provide a precise count of stars. However, scientists have come up with some facts, some observations and some mathematical models in which they have tried to pinpoint how many stars there are. We have what we know as the Milky Way galaxy. And I know some of you are thinking about a candy bar. Amen, hallelujah. The Milky Way galaxy, which is just one of billions of galaxies in the observable universe. That means what we can see. And it is thought to contain around 100 to 400 billion stars. Did everybody hear what I just said? Billion stars. As for the total number of stars in the observable universe, again, what we can see, estimates range from roughly 100 billion trillion stars, 10 to the 23rd power, to even higher numbers. The numbers are literally scientists say running off the chart when they try to figure it out. 
It's essential to note that these estimates, they say, as technology and methods grow, we, we may, and we can see more universes, it will begin to improve, but they know one thing for sure. That the hundred billion trillion stars is actually going to go up in number the deeper that they can get in the outer space. Keep in mind that beyond the observable universe, there may be regions, they say, that are currently beyond our reach and detection. The vastness of the cosmos is a constant source of wonder and allness and a reminder of the greatness of the Creator who literally spoke it all into existence. Not only did He do that, but He names every one of those stars and He knows them all. I'm going to tell you, they say there's about 8 billion people on the planet. If he can name 100 billion trillion plus stars, don't you think he knows your name? Mm -mm -mm. Again, how many of you believe that this great, awesome God still has everything under control? Now, I have used some exaggerative numbers, but Jesus always kept it simple so we could understand what he is saying. And in our text, in verse 25, he is telling us, you do not worry about your life, what you're eating, what you're drinking, your body, what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your life. He says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? Now, I don't mean today to sound depressing and y'all are leaving and going to say, oh my gosh, pastor made me want to not even go to church anymore, but I got news for you. The date's already been set. What date are you talking about? For the day you die? It's in the books. It's appointed the man wants to die after this, the judgment. Can a man do anything to add one hour to his life? Oh, praise God. Sure, there's a few cases where Hezekiah got added 15 years. That's a rarity that that happens. It, but it can happen, obviously, when we pray and fast and seek God's face. But, but overall, the fact is the date has been set. So today in this film, you may have two hours. You may have two months. You may have two years. You may have 20 years. My goodness, there's some of the babies in here that might have 100 left. Then again... Jesus could come right now and we'd have no time left. The point is the date has already been set. Oh, while I'm giving out such depressing reports, it is true that chronic worry can shorten your life. In simple terms, we say it this way, but it is true. Worry can kill you. If you are a chronic warrior and you worry about everything, you can actually shorten your days. Worry can kill you. The case in point is very simple. I will enjoy today instead of worrying about tomorrow. I'm going to say that again. I will enjoy today instead of worrying about tomorrow. Because worrying about the future are events that have not yet occurred did you hear me? They have not yet occurred, can be especially wasteful. It diverts our attention from this present moment, preventing us from fully engaging with what we can do right now. So you go home today, ladies and gentlemen. You hug your family. You eat lunch together. And you be sure to tell them, I love you. Lift your hands today in worship to this great God like it is the last service that you ever have the opportunity to to show him just how much you love him. You worry about today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. He goes on and says, Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. There are some people today that are literally praying for their next meal. Right now. We have been so blessed that we are absolutely spoiled rotten, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you already know what's on the lunch menu today? If you're not cooking it, you have already decided where you're going and you've already looked at the menu and some of your stomachs are growling right now just thinking about it because you were just so hungry. 
Elijah went to the brook called Kareth during a three and a half year famine. He has water from the brook to drink, but he didn't have any food. So what does God? God in his greatness, this omnipotent, all-powerful God, sent ravens, and they brought him food in the morning. They brought him food in the afternoon. Elijah, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink. It will show up. Oh, God have mercy. Now see, we, we don't get that kind of preaching because we don't know nothing about that. Again, we're spoiled rotten. You know I'm right. You know I'm right. Even when things get hard and times get hard, we still are eating high on the hog because we are blessed. We don't know nothing about this Elijah story. The children of Israel, we don't know nothing about them. They end up in the weirdness after their exodus from Egypt. They start complaining to Moses, said you should have just left us in Egypt because at least there we had food. Why in the world have you brought us to this wilderness to starve to death? So God in his greatness said, I'm going to pour manna out on the ground. And they get up and see it do, and it's like these wafers, but they have a honey-like taste. And they say, what is it? Therefore, manna got the name. What is it? Nobody knew. All they know is God dropped it from heaven and supplied their need, and they're eating it. Not only that, but they wanted some meat. So God in his greatness started letting quail fly in the camp and just fall dead at their tents. Can you imagine that every morning when they walk out of their tents, they pick up as much food as they needed for that day. There are quail flying in. They're dropping dead right at their tent sites. There is manna laying on the ground like dew all around their tents. Israel, do not worry what you will eat or what you will drink. I've told you the story, but for some of you that have never heard it, when I was growing up, there's this little lady named Sister Collins. Sister Collins literally says she has nothing in her cupboard at the time, to which she says she's going to prepare a meal. She kind of went spiritual, but she was spiritual. And she started going to the kitchen, and she said, Lord, what am I going to cook? She opens up. She doesn't have anything in the pantry. She is literally living out Israel. She's living out Elijah. But the Spirit of God comes on her, and she says, I'm going to call my kids anyhow. I'm going to call them in, tell them we're fixing to eat. She goes outside. She calls the kids in and says, hey, guys, come on in. You need to wash up. Supper is fixing to be ready. No food in the cupboard, nothing to cook. They go in, they begin to wash their hands to hear her say it and jerk her head a little bit. She said there was a knock on the door. She goes to the door immediately when she opens it. There is nobody there, but there's two bags of groceries that are just sitting there. She used to testify and said, I know what happened. God sent an angel and brought me and my kids some food. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink. Your God knows what you need. Do not worry about what you will wear. Israel has been wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience for 40 years. You can't make this stuff up, folks. The Bible said, I quote, For 40 years I led you through the wilderness, yet your clothes and sandals did not wear out. Can you process that? My son gets taller and taller, foot gets bigger and bigger. Your children do the same thing. It happens. You know what it's called? It's called growing up. We reach a certain place. If you're like me, you've drank so much coffee, you stunted probably two or three inches on height. But the kids, they just keep on growing. And you keep on buying. How many of you wish? I mean, I don't need 40 years, God. I just need 18. If you, just, if you just give me 18 years just to get them out. You know what I'm saying? Just a little. Every year. Can you even imagine? It's like, well, I, the only thing I can figure is if I got a little kid running around in a shoe like this and 40 years later they're wearing a shoe like this, the only thing that I can figure is the shoe grows with their foot. There's no other explanation. 
Their jacket that used to be so, so, so small, all of a sudden it begins to expand as they grow. And in the winter, they're not cold. Their jacket is still fitting them for 40 years. That seems crazy, doesn't it? The point God wanted to make is do not worry about what you're going to wear. Oh my goodness. God says to us, I see if I see every little sparrow that falls to the ground. If I attend every funeral service of every sparrow, then how much more do I care for you? I cared so much for you that I am intricate in every detail of your life. Yes, I even keep count of the numbers of hair that are on top of your head. Don't you dare for one minute think that this amazing God I'm talking about is too busy to care about you. You are every Everything to him. You are the apple of his eye. You are his pride and joy. You are his masterpiece. Man, help us today, Jesus. Verse 31, Shavit, would you pop it up there? In our text today, there is something as I was reading and going down through this, and I'm all excited reading it. There's something that caught my attention. In the first read of this verse, it grabbed me and I saw it. See if you do. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Does anybody see a redundant word in there? What obviously is one? What's another one? We. We, we, we. It's like me, me, me. Understand with me. Now, now watch this. There, this, this. This word we just stood out to me. Because Jesus in this text, in my opinion, is desiring for his disciples to get out of that we mentality. He wants them to understand that the root of their worry has come from their focus on themselves. Their needs. Not the needs of others. So God wants him to understand, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're missing the point. It's not about you. It's not about we. Watch this, 32. Let's go to 32, Shepard. We might as well keep rolling. For the pagans... Run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. The pagans, unbeliever salts, they are dominated by these things. In other words, worldly people chase worldly things. Worldly people are worried about where will we live? What will we drive? What will we wear? What will we do? They get absolutely encompassed. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. And Jesus is saying the pagans can worry about what they're eating. The pagans can worry about what they're drinking and what they're wearing. But they aren't my kids. Let their father, the devil, take care of them. But I, I am your father. You are my kids and I know what you need. And what you need is to change your perspective from worldly things to kingdom things. Oh, grab it. My goodness, I'm about to get it here. I'm going to say it again. You need to change your perspective, your way of thinking, from worldly things to kingdom things. So you let the wicked do what the wicked do. They can ask we and me questions all day long because it's all about them and their little bubble. But my kids, verse 33, but seek first. When do you do it? You do it first. The kingdom and his righteousness and all of these other things are going to be given to you as well. So worry is a tool of the enemy to try to distract us from things that really matter. Are you ready for this, Dan? Like the kingdom. Is everybody still with me? Get away from we mentality 
and start thinking about the kingdom. Stop worrying about you and start worrying about the kingdom. And when you can change your perspective on life, then all the other things are going to be added to you as well. So don't spend your time and your energy worrying about things you cannot control. You just do the kingdom work. Don't get so caught up in this world that you forget what really matters and that is the kingdom. So while you are doing work for the kingdom, I'll be providing your food. While you work for the kingdom, I'll provide your water. Oh, I wish y'all would grab what I'm grabbing today. While you are working for what matters, the kingdom, I'm going to provide your clothes for I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. Do my work. Win the loss. Watch me prosper you in ways you never dreamed possible. You just worry about the kingdom and I will take care of All right, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 in closing. Don't worry about anything. I want you to process what I just read to you. God said, don't worry about anything. Instead, you pray about everything. That is powerful. Tell God what you need. Watch this. Leave it up for a minute and thank him for all he has done. So God is wanting you to have a little memory lapse and go back in time. And he wants you to know if I did it for you before, I can do it for you again. Why are you worrying about this? You just pray about it and say this great awesome God did it 10 years ago. This great awesome God can do it again today. Verse 7. What's the first word? Boy, y'all dead today. Can anybody read? Then... Then what after these things, after you quit worrying about everything and you pray about everything and you, you believe and you tell God what you need and then you just thank him for what he's done, then and only then will you experience God's what? His peace. Worry and peace cannot live in the same house. The peace of God will drive out doubt. The peace of God will drive out fear. The peace of God will drive out worry. Oh, I wish you'd help me preach today for about five more minutes. That's what the peace of God can do for you. But as long as you're worrying, 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 the peace of God can't fill that space. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. All right. Then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that our human minds, that's right, us, can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you what? You live in Christ Jesus. Live in Christ. There was a verse. I'm going to read this. This is closing part. Philippians 1.21, he said this. You can go back to my title. I'm done, Chevy, with that. Philippians 1.21, he said it this way. Paul said, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is Gain. I'm living in Christ. The importance of the phrase to live as Christ cannot be overstated. In all honesty, this phrase should be central to every Christian's life. In this statement, the Apostle Paul is saying that everything he has tried to be, everything he is, everything he looks forward to being, it all points to Jesus. From the time of Paul's conviction or conversion all the way to his martyrdom, every move he made was aimed at this fact. I want to advance the knowledge, gospel, and kingdom of Christ. Paul's singular aim was to bring glory to Jesus. To live is Christ means that we imitate the example of Christ. Everything Jesus did and said, that is exactly what Paul wanted to do and say. The church benefited from his godly example. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What would Jesus do? That's what I want to do. To live as Christ 
means that we pursue the knowledge of Christ. We want to know Christ better and better every day. This will cause our worry to go astray. Don't know not, not just set a, fa- a set of facts about Christ, but also knowing who Christ is himself. For the apostle said, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. To live as Christ means that we are willing to give up anything that prevents us from having Christ. Paul's testimony, what, whatever were gains to me. He said, now I consider them loss. I consider them as dung. I consider them as garbage. Because of the surpassing worth of just knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. To live as Christ means that Christ is our focus. Christ becomes our desire, not our worries. He becomes our chief desire, our goal. Christ is the center point of our hearts, of our minds, of our body, of our soul, of our spirit. Everything that we do, we do for Christ's glory. As we run the race that is marked and set out before us, we lay aside every entangling sin and every worldly weight or distraction and we fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our life. It is all about Jesus. When perspective changes, and that's how we see Him and His kingdom, your worry has to leave. Focus on Christ. Instead of the things that ail your soul. Please, Sandra, I'm done. I'm going to give you a few highlights, and I'm closing with this. Number one, trusting in God's timing. Sometimes we worry because things don't happen as quickly as we would like for them to happen. Anybody ever been there? But remember this, highlights for the day. God's timing is always perfect. Secondly, live in the present moment. Live in today. Live in the present. Enjoy today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Pastor, I got to go to work. Don't worry about it. It'll be there tomorrow. The way that life is, you may not be here tomorrow. So why worry? about tomorrow but you are here now you are here today if there's anything that people ever die if they could come back and say to us I believe one thing that they would tell us is the regrets that they have the things they could have said that they didn't say the things they wanted to do that they never did that one trip that they wanted to take the wife on they just they talked about it for 20 years but now he or she is gone If they could say anything, they would say, I'm living with regret of not actually just doing it. And I'm saying to somebody today, live in the moment. Enjoy what God has given you today. I would hate to know that this was my last moment to be with Jesus and I didn't give him a sacrifice and an offering of praise that he was worthy of and I don't show up next Sunday morning and my pew or my chair is empty and I regret that I didn't give God glory when I had an opportunity to. You better do it now. Number three, letting go and surrendering. Surrender your worries to God and release control to Him. One of the challenges that I had as a pastor, being an OCD guy like I am, whether you know that or not, now you do. For those that work close to me, they know. If they move a pen, it shall be moved back to the proper spot. If they bump a chair, I will take the time to get up and straighten up the chair. It's how I am wired. So sometimes releasing things to people can be a difficult task. Because the OCD in you says, well, I would do it this way, exactly this way. I know exactly how it should be done. But you give it to somebody else. They don't think like you do. They don't see it like you do. And in their mind, their way is better than your way. Everybody still with me? 
And the truth is, we're probably both wrong. But we both think we're right. But there is a challenge in leadership that says, I'm handing this to you. I am delegating this to you. And I am trusting you with this. Now you go and do the work of the kingdom. I bless you and pray for you. If you need anything, let me know. I'm praying that God would use you greatly. And you step away. And you let that person go out and venture and just pray and do God's will the way that God wants them to do it in their life. That is a very, very difficult thing to do. Some of you say, I wouldn't have a problem with that. You do. Because instead of worrying, if you would learn to surrender and release it and give it away and say, God, you know what? I'm giving it to you. You're a great God and you've already told me cast all your care on me because I care for you. You just give it to me. God is begging you. Just give it to me. But we in our flesh have a problem with surrender and delegation and releasing and trusting that somebody else can do it better than we can. Because as long as we're in control, everything goes the way that we want it to go. But the moment we give it to God, it's no longer ours. Now, God, what's your will? And that's what's the hardest part. Let's all stand. I'm leaving you with this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. And I'll leave you with this thought. Start practicing faith over fear. Do not worry. You got your mic? I trust in God. My Savior, the one. Who will never fail. He will never fail. Oh, I trust in God. I trust in Jesus. You're my Savior. You're the one. Oh, hallelujah. These altars are open today. These altars are open. If you want to bring it to Jesus, you ought to do it. I want you to give it to God today. Have you been asking God to do a miracle for you? Give it to Him today. Do not worry. Your heavenly Father knows what we So this 
Probably more than that in places we cannot even see nor reach. Depths we have not even discovered as, as humans. But you know the cosmos. Not only do you know it, but you know every one of them by name. And today, how dare we believe that this God doesn't know who we are. That he doesn't know our name. That this great, awesome, omnipotent God hasn't heard our prayer as if he cannot hear. His ear is not short that he cannot hear. His arm is not short that it cannot save. Father, today let us trust you. Let us believe you. Let us claim today, I will not worry. I refuse to worry. Every time that worry comes into my heart, like I said the other week, I will quote a scripture verse. I will say something whether it be my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Every time the enemy comes, I'm going to speak it again. Every time he says it, I'm going to say, but my God shall supply all my need. But you're not going to have enough. But my God shall supply all my need. You haven't looked at your bank account lately. But my God shall supply all of my need. I'm going to say it over and over. If I need a healing, every time the devil tells me I'm going to die, I'm going to say, by my stripes. By his stripes, I am healed. By his stripes, I am healed. Whatever it is that I need, I'm going to believe your word for it, and I'm going to trust you for it. Do not worry, child of God. Your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask for it, even before you can think of it. This great God already knows. If you're going to trust him with it today, I want you just to say amen. I want these in the are there more than welcome. Keep praying, keep playing, and let's, uh, God bless you today. My Savior. 